Good evening, and welcome to Mining the Riches of the Parsha. Tonight is Thursday night, May 5th, 2022. The Moel, who did my bris in Memphis, Tennessee, where I was born, almost 64 years ago, he passed away last Friday at the age of 96. Rabbi Nathan Greenblatt, known to me and countless others as Rav Nutta. I learned from him. I was mentored by him. I was inspired by him throughout my entire life, as were many, many thousands of others. Rav Nutta was born in Washington, D.C. in 1925. He was one of the most prized and most respected students of Rav Moshe Feinstein, the greatest authority in Jewish law in the previous generation. At the age of 24, Rav Nutta, with Rav Moshe Feinstein's encouragement, accepted the position of assistant rabbi and Hebrew school teacher in Memphis, Tennessee where he remained for the rest of his life. Together with my grandfather, Sam Margolin, of blessed memory, and a few others, Rav Nutta helped start the Memphis Hebrew Academy in 1949. I and everyone in my family attended that school, and it is today larger and stronger than ever. And then, for 60 years, Rav Nutta traveled, leaving home every Sunday, returning home every Thursday night. Rav Nutta traveled all across America, especially to small towns in the South, to provide the services that Jews and Jewish communities need. He inspected food factories for the OU. He did bris milah, circumcisions, wherever a Jewish boy was born. He would do a get, a Jewish divorce, or build an Eruv, or build a mikvah, oversee a conversion, fix a Torah scroll, shecht animals, resolve disputes, read the Torah, lead davening, teach every area of Torah at every level. Any need a Jew or a Jewish community had. And not only did he do it, he was an expert in the laws of every single subject in Jewish law. Not only was he an expert in the laws, he was also an expert in performing it, in doing it practically. And he did it for everyone, everywhere, anything that was needed. He was there and he did it. There was simply no one else like him 
and there is no one who can replace him. Rabbi Moshe Heinemann, who is my Rebbe, my teacher in halacha, in Jewish law, Rav Heinemann eulogized Rav Nata last Sunday at the funeral in New York. The two of them, both experts in Jewish law, were very close. Rav Heinemann said about Rav Nata what the Talmud says about the ideal Torah scholar, not just to know the entire Torah, which itself is monumental, but as the Talmud says, the words should be sharp, clear in your mouth, which means when someone asks you a question, you know the answer. You don't prevaricate. You don't have to look it up. You don't have to think about it. You know it because it's clear. And that is what Rav Nata did throughout his entire life. When you asked him a question, and it didn't matter what area of Torah it was, and it didn't matter how complex or obscure the question was, you received an immediate, simple, clear answer. Because the knowledge was clear in Rav Nata's mind. When I was in high school, I, along with several other boys from Memphis, attended a yeshiva in Baltimore, near Israel. One of the boys was Jacob Greenblatt, Rav Nata's son. Jacob and I were best friends. We were in school together from kindergarten through 12th grade. And whenever we would come home for Yom Tov from Yeshiva, I would attend the minion that Rav Nata ran in his home every Shabbos for 60 years. Rav Nata was the world's fastest Torah roller. He only had one Torah scroll, one Sefer Torah. On Yom Tov, there are two readings. So if you only have one Torah scroll, you have to roll it from one place to the other, from one reading to the next. He could roll the Torah faster than any person I have ever seen. And I once asked him why he did it so quickly. And he said to me, because of Tircha de Tzibura, which means to avoid causing the congregation to have to wait while the Torah is rolled. You shouldn't make the congregation wait. So if you're going to roll the Torah, you have to do it fast. I will never forget the lesson he taught me about the respect a rabbi must have for his congregation. And on Chol HaMoed of every Yom Tov, he would deliver an advanced shear, a lecture, to those young men and men who were advanced in their Talmudic studies. And these lectures were intricate, they were complex, they were brilliant lectures. At the highest level of Talmudic study, we would marvel at his brilliance. So one time his son told me how he prepared these lectures. He said, 
My father doesn't need to review the content because he knows it all. But he would spend hours pacing back and forth, working out the ideal order of how to present this complex material and how the concepts should unfold one after the other and one on top of the other. And that too has always stayed with me, the importance of the order of a lecture, how a theme is developed for maximum impact on each student. I had a more recent reminder of Ravnata's brilliance and clarity of thinking just about 10 years ago. Ravnata was about 86 years old at that time. I was helping a family with the inscription on a matseva, a monument for someone who had passed away, and there was a question about this man's Hebrew name. And I knew that about 20 years earlier, this man and his wife divorced, and Ravnata did the get, the Jewish divorce, which means that Ravnata would have a record of the correct Hebrew name of this man. So I called Ravnata, and he said to me, yes, I remember, I have the paper at home, I'm traveling now, call me next week, and I'll be home, and I'll give you the information. The next week I called him at home and his wife, Rebetzin Miriam Greenblatt, answered the phone. I asked for Ravnata and she said to me, he's out doing an errand, but call him on his cell. So I said, Mrs. Greenblatt, the reason I'm calling is to verify a name from 20 years ago. Maybe he has it written down somewhere and... I should wait and call back when he's at home when the, the paper is accessible to him. <laughs> and she said to me, she said, Michael, if my husband said to call back in a week, he doesn't need to check any paper. Just call him on his cell phone. And I did. And he did. Rav Heinemann, in his eulogy, told the following story. On a Monday, Rav Heinemann, who lives in Baltimore, was scheduled to do a chalitza ceremony. Now, a chalitza ceremony is an unusual, complicated Jewish ceremony. It's kind of like a get to Jewish divorce, but it's different. It's much more rare, and it's much more complicated, and it's, and it's much harder to explain. It's hard to understand, and let's just leave the discussion of how it works and why it works for another time. But it involves a ceremony where a man is wearing a special shoe, which is called a chalitza shoe. It's kind of like a sandal with straps that go up close to the knee. Okay. I understand. It's very strange, very rare. But again, let's just leave that to the side because that's not the part I want to deal with. So the chalitza ceremony was scheduled with Rav Heinemann for Monday. On Sunday, the day before, Rav Heinemann learned that the man that he would see on Monday was in jail. 
and he was going to be released for Monday to attend this ceremony, and then he was going back to jail. Okay, it's not a problem. But it is a problem because this chalitza shoe has to touch the man's skin on his foot and leg. No socks. There could be nothing between the leather straps and his skin. But this man would be wearing an ankle bracelet with a GPS tracker to assure that he would not escape. So how could Rav Heinemann do chalitza with this ankle bracelet in the way? Now, Rav Heinemann, who, as I said to you before, is also an expert in every area of Jewish law. Rav Heinemann had never encountered this particular problem. But who could he ask? Who would know how to answer this question? And the only person he could think of that could possibly answer this question was Rav Nata. Because Rav Nata did more of these rare ceremonies than anybody else in North America. He is the world's expert in chalitza. So Rav Heinemann, on Sunday, called Rav Nata, explained the situation to him, and Rav Nata said, that's a difficult question. Call me back in three hours, and I'll give you the answer. Now, okay, three hours. But Rav Heinemann couldn't understand. Rav Nata knows everything. Why does he need three hours? He had to have known the answer right away. Okay. Rav Heinemann called back after three hours. And Rav Nutta said to him, First, I went to the jail to see what this ankle bracelet actually looks like. Maybe it's loose enough that you could lift it up so that it is not interfering with the strap and the skin but they wouldn't let me into the jail. And they told me I had to go see the police. So I went to the police station. They wouldn't let me in either, but they told me I would be able to find out the answer from a judge. But where do you find a judge in Memphis on a Sunday afternoon? Finally, Ravnata found a judge who told him that he could request a wrist bracelet instead of an ankle bracelet, avoiding the problem. And that is what Rav Heinemann did the next morning. After I finished college, I went to Israel to study in yeshiva, and <clears throat> my plans didn't work out the way I anticipated. And I ended up attending an all-Israeli yeshiva where no one spoke English except for me and three other students out of 120. Thank God it was a wonderful, remarkable experience that changed my life. One of the other Americans at this yeshiva was Joey Greenblatt. 
Joey Greenblatt is Rav Nata's youngest son. He's two years younger than me. And we became best friends. During that year in Israel, Joey and another American friend both had their fathers, who were both rabbis, come to visit them during the course of the year. And Joey and this other friend were discussing amongst themselves. They weren't sure if they should go to the airport to meet the plane when their father would arrive. They weren't sure. So the other friend's father told his son, of course I expect you to be at the airport. When I walk off that plane, I expect to see your face. I'm coming all the way from America to visit you. I want to see you at the airport. Joey's father, Ravnata, told him, if I see you at the airport, you're in big trouble. I expect that when I finally reach the yeshiva, whatever time it is, I will find you there in the yeshiva studying Torah and I will join you and we will study Torah together. Don't you dare waste time to come to meet me at the airport. Because that's what I want from you. Because that Torah study was the essence of Rav Nutta's life. Ever since I was a young child, Rav Nutta's character was imprinted in my mind due to an incident. I might have been seven or eight years old. There was a bris at the home of my aunt and uncle, Elaine and Sidney Katz. Ravnata was the moel. He was doing the bris. Now, I don't remember who the baby was. It was not a son of the Katzes. It might have been a relative. It might have been a friend. I don't remember. My uncle Sidney, may he live and be well, he is a Kohen. As are his sons, his father, his brothers. There were lots of Kohanim there. And I and my entire family was there at this bris. In the middle of the bris, an elderly man collapsed. Now, I don't remember who this man was, and I also don't remember what ultimately happened to him. But I clearly remember two things that happened immediately. The first was Dr. Larry Rubel, who is a wonderful and beloved doctor in Memphis, leaped over a sofa to begin CPR. And the second thing that happened at the same moment is that Ravnutta called out in a commanding, confident, but calm voice, all Kohanim leave the house because this man might have passed away. God forbid. And a Kohen is not allowed to be in the same building as a deceased person. And throughout my entire life, since that long ago moment, I have marveled that Ravnata at every moment, regardless of the chaos 
or hysteria around him remained focused on what does God want at this moment? What does Jewish law require at this moment? And he did this with confidence and clarity and total control of the situation, focused on what Jewish law requires. The greatest influence Rav Nutta had on my life was during the four years that I served as the rabbi in New Orleans, Louisiana. It was our first rabbinic position where I was one of hundreds of rabbis across America, especially in small towns in the South, who called on Rav Nutta with every question I had, advice for every challenge I faced, and to perform in my community whatever we needed, a bris, a get, a conversion, whatever we needed, we called Rav Nutta. Usually when Rav Nutta came to New Orleans, he was rushing to his next destination, and I had the privilege to pick him up and return him to the bus station or the train station. When he did stay overnight, we had the privilege of hosting him in our home, which we always cherished. Once he came to perform a get, a Jewish divorce, and this was a very, very difficult case. In this case, the wife refused to receive the get. Now, almost always, when there is get refusal, it's the husband who refuses to give a get, but a wife can cause just as much harm by her refusal as a husband can cause. And this was one of the rare cases where it was the wife who was refusing. It took months of work and effort on my part, guided by Ravnata, to lead to being able to do this get. And finally, after much effort and anguish, Ravnata came to New Orleans and the get was done in the husband's home. And then after the get was completed, it was just the husband, Ravnata, me, and one other person who had served as a second aide, the second witness. A get requires two to aid him, two witnesses. I was one of the witnesses, and there was someone else who was the second witness. And we were about to leave. It was late. The now divorced man said to us, hold on, please wait just a moment. I'll be right back. And he came back into the room with a bottle of champagne. And I understood because it had been months of acrimony, and now he was finally free. And Ravnata said, no, no champagne. We do not celebrate a divorce. It may be necessary. It may be a relief, but it's not a celebration. We don't say mazel tov, 
and we don't drink champagne. And I learned two very important lessons that night. I learned from Ravnata how we are to look at divorce, an attitude that stays with me till today. And I also learned from Ravnata that night that it's not enough to know Torah and it's not enough to follow Jewish law and to do what is right and what is correct. It is also necessary to have the appropriate emotion and attitude at every moment based on Torah values. When I first started my career as a rabbi, I must be honest. I knew next to nothing. And in New Orleans, I had no one to ask, no one to discuss it with. Without a lifeline to Ravnata, without the certainty that at the other end of the call was a man who knew with certainty whatever I needed to know and who would come when I needed him, without that, I and hundreds of other rabbis over the course of 60 years, never would have survived. Ravnata made all the difference in the world. I want to share one last story. <clears throat> in our fourth year in New Orleans, we had two children, and Marcy was pregnant. And in the middle of the pregnancy, she had to be rushed to the hospital. She was put on bed rest. She was back in the hospital several times. And finally, our baby died. And Marcy had to deliver this our deceased child. I've shared this with some of you before. We lost our baby just before Rosh Hashanah. And obviously, that holiday season was dark and painful for us and our family. On Erev Yom Kippur, the afternoon, just hours before Yom Kippur began. The phone rang in our house. And Marcy picked up the phone. Is this Mrs. Whitman? Yes. This is not a Greenblatt. I heard what happened. I'm so sorry for your loss. And I pray that God will give you the strength to be healed physically and emotionally in the coming new year. That the great Ravnata Greenblatt on that most busy and important day, just before Yom Kippur begins, that he was thinking of us 
That's a gift we will never forget. A colleague of mine once wrote, a rabbi's main role is love. Rav loved God. Rav loved the Torah. He loved studying the Torah and he loved fulfilling the Torah. And Rav loved every one of God's children. My Rebbe, my mentor, Rav Greenblatt, a blessed memory. There was no one else like him and no one can replace him. My friends, I want to wish you a great evening and a wonderful Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing every one of you soon in person.